We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. What is going on, folks? Welcome again to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is again sponsored by betonline.ag. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. And joining me tonight, as always, the one and only former NFL defensive back and all-around good guy, Eric freaking Crocker. Dude, how is it going? It's going good, man. It's going, going good. Busiest man on Twitter, bro. Busiest man on Twitter. Yeah, and you know, I got some news. Like, you know, I got something in the works. I probably won't talk about it yet, but you know, I'll talk about it with you off off air. Something I'm kind of working on. (laughs) You can't. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be like, "Well, he just said he had some news," and then in the same sentence, he said he couldn't talk about it, and then he said he's going to talk to to Rob off air about it. You're going to you you've already pissed some people off, bro. Yeah, well, they'll, they'll they'll find out about it sooner or later. Okay, so now I'm just looking forward to ending the podcast and finding out what <laughs> Rocker's news is. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, anyways, so 
anything what's new man well i mean you were just telling me before we jumped off it, i wouldn't say it's really hard for crocker and i to be short with this podcast because we just end up talking and talking um but crocker's got a new job and he has to be up at 3 a.m uh so we may be a little bit short i guess that's the newest thing for you right anything else new going on other than the announcement you said you're not going to tell us right now no nah, um well i am kind of um the uh chris sims you know he put out his top five cornerbacks. And I'll say this, as good of a prospect as I think Jeff Okuda is, I am like shocked by, and I don't know if I should be shocked because I kind of got the same responses with me not having the number one, but just with the amount of people that just think he is just like Deion Sanders. Like if you didn't know any better, you would think like this is prime time. This is Deion Sanders the way that like, just fans, like, if you don't have him number one, you're stupid and you don't know anything and you don't know what you're talking about. Do and, you think that video of him owning that press guy at, at the Combine has anything to do with how much everybody loves him? Um, no, I mean, I love his attitude. I love the way he plays. Like, but right. to me... You I know, know you do, but you know people go crazy on Twitter for the weirdest stuff. So it just wouldn't surprise me if people began to love him a lot because of that, yeah. you know, uh, it's no, just, no pass interferences, no holdings. Uh, you better cut the tape again. Yeah. It's, it's really just wild to me with, and he is good. He, he is good. He's a terrific player. I don't have him at CB one. And because I have somebody over him, it's just like, I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, what I'm doing. And it's funny to hear Chris Sims. And I wish people instead of like, cause my timeline right now is going crazy with people just, He's an idiot. He's not an expert. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I wish that they would just listen to him. And I think it would kind of make sense. And the crazy thing is, the same stuff he's saying about Okuda, the same stuff I've been saying. Um, well, and, and he's the one that kind of got you to think a little bit differently about the wide receivers too, didn't he? Well, no, no, not not really think differently. No, because he didn't change. Because he doesn't have Judy in his top five. I have Judy at two. So, yeah, that's true. But he got you to look at, you were telling me he was mentioning some things about Judy that I guess you had noticed him too, but you know, his little red flags, you know, physicality yeah. or whatnot. And and he kind of, I know he was on that too. So maybe he, he's not the one that changed your mind, but at least he was saying some of the similar, similar things that, that you were noticing right off the bat. Where does he have a uh, CJ? Well, I like that he thinks different. Well, he has CJ Henderson at CB1, but I do okay. like that he, he, he doesn't, Everything that he says or comes out of his mouth, especially when it comes to, like, these rankings, he really watches the film. So even last year, I know a lot of people were like, oh, that's crazy. How does he have Drew Brees at QB8 and Tom Brady at QB9? Like, that's crazy. But it's like, and then you look at the year that Tom Brady had, that was, like, his worst year of his career ever. And it's not as crazy as it seems. Like, I do respect him, and I respect anybody. Like, if you put in the time and effort and you really watch the film and you give your opinion... I'm all for it. The part that annoys me is like people calling somebody stupid and doesn't know anything, but then they haven't watched it. You know what I'm saying? They're just going off of what everybody else says. Like this guy, or maybe they saw a press conference, or maybe they saw one game and it's like, oh, this just guy is the best ever. My thing about uh, Kuda is he was the best college cornerback, but is he the best prospect when you're talking about that game translating to the NFL? And there's a lot of variables who they played, the scheme he played in, what he was asked to do, how he tested, like all those things go into you, go into projecting you to the NFL. 
And there are things about Henderson's game and his skill set and what he's able to do that I like more. There are things that not only uh, Sims like more with Henderson, but also uh, A.J. Terrell, who he had over. And there's a lot of people that don't like A.J. Terrell because he had a poor game against LSU. And they look at that game and it's like, well, A.J. Terrell sucks. And I was like, no, he's actually really good. I don't have him at two, but I could see how somebody would possibly put. Now, I, I, I like I have Akuda over him, but, I, you know, when you hear somebody explain their reasoning, like, okay, I, I understand. Well, that's that's the biggest thing with me that I see a lot. One of my least favorite things about draft season or draft Twitter, whatever you want to call it, is like unsubstantiated opinions. You know, like people who, and and this is no slight to you, but I was mentioning, I tweeted something about Jerry Judy and how like phenomenal his routes were and, and something. And somebody, and, and I'm not, I got to word this in a way where I'm not trying to necessarily say the person was wrong, but somebody replied to that with literally your opinion, Eric Crocker's opinion, like almost word for word. <laughs> and I, and I replied to him. I was like, yo, Eric Crocker, is that you? Like, and I, I, I can understand, like, if you were to ask me whose opinion on wide receivers or DBs do you value most, I would probably say you because, you know, obviously I get to talk to you every week. Um, I can talk to you about any prospect at any time and we can go back and forth as much as we want. And I know you know what you're talking about. I've never seen you say something that I thought was stupid, which is a big plus. Um, but, and, and so what I'm trying to say is you can respect someone's opinion, you can value it, but you shouldn't just take it as gospel, never do any of your own homework, never form your own opinion. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to be able to, your, your opinions or the things you say should be based off your own, you know, knowledge and your own thought and your own, you know, kind of, you develop opinions through experience. And, you know, it was just weird to see someone just rattle off a opinion that they were trying to come off as they felt very strongly about, but it wasn't even their opinion. <laughs> it, it, was, it was somebody else's opinion that they were just replying with. Now, like I said, he, he did say that he was a huge follower of yours and that's great. And I would never dissuade somebody from taking from, from hearing somebody else's opinion and trusting it and believing in it and having conviction about it. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to just fire that off without ever, without ever having any substance behind it. Like if I would have kept digging into that conversation and replying with this and this, would he have had replies that weren't based off what you said? And people get so emotionally attached to their opinions during draft season. Like if you say, and I know you know this better than me, if you say anything that doesn't fit with their, their, their feelings, their, their prospect that they love, then you're the devil. Right. And and that doesn't make any sense to me. Like you should always be willing to hear other people. And this goes into like politics and we could keep going forever on this, but you should always be willing to hear what somebody else has to say or why they feel the way they feel. And obviously there's things that don't apply to that, but it's just, it's just crazy how like you can literally see on Twitter. People are just like, I just picture hands like latched onto the back of a player's Jersey and that player's just dragging that person around throughout their day because that person is just so <laughs> emotionally attached to that person. They're like a stage five clinger, but with the draft, right. you know, and it's just, there's two things I was just trying to say, and I rambled on too long, but form your own opinion. Let's take in other people's opinions, use them to form your own 
but then don't form them so passionately that you cannot hear anything else. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what American politics are today is like everybody is so passionate about the side, the, the team that they've chosen that they won't even acknowledge anybody else. And, you know, so anyways, but it's, it's just crazy how, you know, like you said earlier in your mentions, you have people just, if you don't have this guy as your number one, then you must be an idiot. And it, the funny thing is, some for someone to say that to you, they obviously one don't follow you or pay attention to any things you any of the things you tweet, because whether they agree or not, there's there's no way an idiot would fall into that timeline. Right. Or you know what I mean? It's it's funny, man. It's I probably shouldn't care about this much about how much other people care, but it's just you see it every year, and it's sometimes you just laugh on the other side of the keyboard or on the other side of the phone. Oh, <laughs> but anyways, but anyways, so that's 10 minutes gone by really quick. So, all right, folks. So if you, if you've been listening to striking gold, if you've been listening to me and Crocker, you know that the past two episodes we've spent cataloging, reviewing, um, breaking down the performance, kind of more of the front office performance. It's not like we've gone through the season and broke down Kyle Shanahan's performance on a game to game basis, kind of angled towards the front office because the draft is coming up and we just had free agency. Um, the performance of John Lynch, which still involves Kyle Shanahan because he has an enormous say in the personnel, and you know Adam Peters and the rest of the front office. So we did 2017, we did 2018, and today's episode is going to be dedicated towards 2019. Now, kind of you got to understand when we when we start to review something like 2019, we've only seen any of these moves, any of these steps. We've only seen the result of them for one season. So whether it was releasing a player or signing a new player, or trading for a player, or drafting this player over this player, we've only seen that for one season. So we're kind of, you know, giving our thoughts. We can't just say this player is a bust, this player sucks. I can't believe they drafted this player yet. Because, you know, we we've only it's only been a season. Things change really, really quickly in the NFL. Right. So, you know, as we go through this, just keep that in mind. But um so what and what we've done is if and you can actually Google this, if you search 49ers transactions, one of the first links up there is the actual 49ers website. You can change the year and it will basically show you every single personnel transaction that the team has done. And obviously we're not going to cover every single one of them because there's too many. But I would say looking on here, the very the very first thing they did um that kind of kicked the 2019 offs offseason kicked it off in an interesting way was they franchise tagged Robbie Gould, which was interesting because of kind of just the way that ended up unfolding. You know, like nobody knew what was going to happen. Robbie Gould basically, you know, wasn't reporting. He wasn't going to show up. You know, they franchise tagged him and that ended up evolving into this whole thing where he's basically holding out. And then right before the deadline, they ended up signing him to a new, new deal, which was fine. I mean, the dude, that's, that's what they had to do. He's been so he over the first two seasons with the 49ers, he was so freaking good that they had no choice, but the one franchise tagging, cause there was no way they were going to let him go. And then two, you know, do what they had to do to get a, a, a deal done. Now, I don't really remember exactly when the deal was signed. I don't, you know, it was obviously completely different time, 
But um, that was, I mean, that was what they kicked the season off with. Now, if you scroll up a little bit more away from the Robbie Gold, and the next thing they did was they signed Mike Person to a three-year contract extension, which obviously kickers, guards, not exactly highlight real moves right now, but which, I mean, that was a smart move to, to hang on to that guy. He was He was solid last year. And obviously we know now that they've already parted ways with him, which is weird. They just signed him to a three-year deal, and then they were like, okay, we're done. But none of his money was guaranteed, so that's kind of and – that, and a player knows that. If they sign a deal where none of their money is guaranteed on a year-to-year basis, they weren't guaranteed a big amount of money at signing, then they know that their their contract is in, in no way you know, long-term, I guess you could say. But right. it, was interest, it was interesting to see them kind of just you know, be done with that right off the bat. But um, And then you know, as you go on – couple moves up you start to get into the really interesting stuff or at least the smart stuff you know they 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 offered one-year tenders to Raheem Mostert and obviously that became something else here in a little bit um they kept around Greg Mabin Elijah Lee and Elijah Lee ended up playing a decent role he's a, a backup linebacker that got involved um and then they all they exercised contract options for Kyle Juszczyk I mean that was easy Kwan Williams easy you know and then they declined the option for wide receiver Pierre Garcon, which that was obviously the move they needed to make. But man, I really wanted Pierre Garcon to be more than, than what he ended up being. You know, he was, he he was, I think he was solid. He he was, he was solid. And and I mean, I just looked at the signing between him, even like Audrick Robinson, just kind of hold over. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And and they were personalities that Kyle Shanahan knew. You know, he knew what kind of guys he was bringing into the locker room. So you know, they could get it from there. It's just after that first half of two thousand seventeen with Pierre Garcon, I was like, oh man, it is so on. You know, I think he he was basically the way he started off with the Forty ers He was like that version of Anquan Bolden that the Forty ers got. Right, just a, a dude that they could throw the ball to whenever, and he was going to make the tough catches. But then he ended up getting hurt, and that was basically it. He had forty catches and five hundred yards in half a season, and then that was pretty much it. I mean, he had some some work the night. He didn't score his first touchdown with the team until that that second year. So, anyways, big yeah, Pierre Garcon fan, yeah. But you know, their their big splash. Okay, so their their big splash was. Uh, in the middle of March, they traded for D Ford, which was huge. I mean, it was right near, I think it was right before the opening of free agency, I believe. I mean, it was the middle of March, so it has to be. But I'm looking at when their other deals started. But yeah, it was it was right before the, I believe it was right before the opening of free agency. They gave up a, this year's second round pick. Um, so they're kind of just now seeing, you know, they're paying the price for that this year. And then they immediately signed him to a five-year deal. And then basically within, I don't know, with then basically on the same day, I don't know when, see, it's on, on these transactions, it's listed as happening as March 13th. You know how things are with the news. It probably broke earlier than that. Um, but it didn't become official until the March 13th. And then on the same day, they also signed Quan Alexander to a four-year deal. So, Probably the biggest moves of the offseason right there. You know, trading a second-round pick, a future second-round pick for D. Ford, immediately signing him to a huge deal, and then turning around and signing Quan Alexander to a four-year deal. So 
just kind of shooting from the hip here, Crocker, what, after seeing those, the deals, seeing the players for a year with the 49ers, what do you think about them? Like, what are your thoughts on them now? Start with, just start with D4. Um, I think when he's, when he's on the field, he's everything that I thought he would be. Um, we wanted him to be a closer. Uh, I wish he would close maybe in the Super Bowl, but outside of that, I mean, I thought he was really good. Um, you know, he was that speed guy off the edge. I, I think the biggest thing with him is just, you know, his health. And, you know, so he can be that guy for 16 weeks. They monitored him. You know, we didn't really get to see him in the preseason at all. He, you know, he missed he missed games throughout the year, tried to come back and, you know, just wasn't, he just wasn't healthy. And with, I guess, the, the knee injury that he has, like, will he ever be healthy? So that part, you know, is questionable. His talent isn't. Is is not is undeniable. He's he is really good. It's just when he's on the field. And right now we just don't know how consistent that would be. Right. And if you if you look at kind of his his overarching kind of stat sheet, you can see kind of the inconsistency and the risk reward that just goes along with with him. You know, like he's when he first started out in Kansas City, you know, he played in 16 games, but he wasn't full time and he only had a sack and a half. And then in his sophomore year, he had four sacks, played in 14 games. He started five of them. Uh, and then in 2016 is when he really became like a full-time starter. He started 14 games. He had 10 sacks. But then, kind of going back to what the 49ers saw this year, the next year he only started six games. And then he only had two sacks in those six games. Then the next year he started 16 games. And he had 13 sacks. But then this year he only started two games. And he had six and a half sacks. He played in 11 games. So, you know, like you're saying, it's just you know, you don't really know what you're going to get. And you don't really know, um, you know, like, you know, like you're saying about his knee. He has, he basically has, I don't remember if it was tendonitis, but he, he basically has a knee injury where it's, they don't really ever expect it to go away. They just are going to try and mitigate it as much as they can and kind of lessen the impact. And, you know, the contract that he signed I mean, he's got a really big cap number. He's he's getting he's essentially accountable for 16 million this year, and there's really no there's no cutting him. I mean, I, you could obviously trade him. I don't know what kind of dead money would go along with that. But as far as the post June first, before June first stuff, like he's he's on the team this year. So you know, the 49ers are hoping obviously that with an off season of rest and and obviously everybody's getting plenty of rest right now. Uh, the 49ers are, are hoping he comes around now in the same ballpark. As D Ford, you also have Quan Alexander, who has shown his own injury struggles that the 49ers saw firsthand this year. So what I mean, knowing what you know now, what what are your thoughts on Alexander, Croc? Uh, I really like him. Um, you know, he's another guy, again, you know, obviously he wants to stay healthy, but when when he was healthy, he was lights out. You could tell in the Super Bowl he wasn't all the way himself. I remember saying, like, man, they need to get Quan Alexander out of there. <laughs> keep keep the rookie in. But uh, yeah, he was he was struggling. Yeah, he was struggling a little bit, struggling in the open field to tackle Williams. But when he again, when he's healthy, he's on fire. Um, loved it. What the energy he brought. I think he was definitely better than I even thought he would be. Uh, and I, yeah, that's another guy I'm really excited to to see back. I think you know, Fortnite's dealt with a lot of injuries last year. Uh-huh. A lot of injuries. I have no idea how they made it so far. Yeah, and it was. Quan Alexander's just situation is just, and you know, he was coming off a torn ACL. So that's obviously going to cast a little bit of shadow. 
um, you know, into, into what kind of the, the, the forecast will be. And then, you know, he comes in and, and yeah, he was, he was outstanding. Him and Fred Warner are great together. But like you said, he, he, when he came back from that torn pack, he obviously wasn't the same, but it was, it was incredible that he came back anyways. And that was, that was just really, really cool to see. And it was really cool to see how the team responded to that. You know, that it, it was just, and it was pretty unanimous. Every player who was asked about Quan Alexander was just 100% like this guy is the lifeblood of our team. You know, yeah. like or lifeblood of our defense, and and a lot of people did say team. Like he's just considered that big of a deal in that locker room. So it was cool to see him come back. Obviously, he wasn't wasn't what he was at the start of the season, um, because at the start of the season, him and Fred Warner were just clicking. And but you know, with every, it's kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo turns ACL. That's what allowed them to draft Nick Bosa. Right. Well. Quan Alexander getting injured, not that you ever want to see that with anybody, is what allowed Dre Greenlaw to step into the picture and gave him the opportunity to show what he was capable of, which was pretty freaking impressive for, you know, a late round rookie. So, you know, there's there's just always a plus and minus to everything. It's weird how things work out. Quan Alexander did restructure his contract, so I know I, I I'm pretty sure that was kind of to try and make room for like the Eric Armstead deal. They knew was coming, and it was really about moving around signing bonuses and moving around cap hits because um, his cap hit went went way down this year. He's not he's not even he's like outside the top ten in his cap kit. His cap hit this year is only four point five million, um, but the amount of dead money they would incur, let's say if they cut him, would be fourteen point five money million. So obviously there's some contract reworking there and moving around bonuses. So that's what they did with him. And, you know, just a small little nod to his leadership. But all right. So before let's go over a couple more moves and then we'll get into the draft class and we'll get a word from our sponsors and then we'll get in the draft class. So it was D Ford and Quan Alexander. Those were the big, the big moves. They also signed Jason Verrett, which was, you know, at the time, We'll see, you know, you, you were the same way as I was, you know, we'll see if he can come back. The guy has been, had suffered, you know, two season ending injuries, two years in a row, had moments of just being incredible, an incredible, incredible cornerback, probably one of the best cornerbacks to not get to play. Like some of the stuff he put on tape when he was healthy was just so impressive, but you know, he, and he, he dealt with more injuries and that pretty much kept him off the field. This year, I mean, he was on the field for like one snap, and it wasn't fair. <laughs> you know, uh, what was that, uh, Pittsburgh? Where Jason Brett got that one snap? Yeah, well, actually, he had got a snap earlier, but it was kind of like hidden because he was like in the slot. I think he was like guarding the running back. So there were a couple of snaps earlier in the game, but yeah, then he had the two late where he had the pass interference and then the touchdown. Right, right. So obviously that kind of soured everybody on Jason Brett, but – you know, I watched him throughout training camp when he was getting healthy and uh, he made some plays and it, it was cool to see him kind of make his comeback or try to make his comeback. And the 49ers locked him up again uh, for another year. So we'll see if he can continue to get healthy and at least just play a factor. As of right now, he's just depth, you know, and you can't even really say he's reliable or good depth because he's just always dealing with injuries. And that's not a slight against him. He's incredibly talented. It's just a matter if he can kind of get past that wall. Um Probably one of their most, I wouldn't say most underrated, maybe underappreciated deals was keeping Jimmy Ward and signing him to a one-year one deal because he was your starting free safety all last season. Right, yeah. And 
and by all accounts, you know, obviously didn't have that many takeaways, but he was really, really good. And he made some really, really good plays. I mean, you know, his highlight has to be against the Rams when he made those two plays in a row against, I think both were against Cooper Cup, weren't they? One was Cooper Cup and one was Everett. Okay, yeah. Then, you know, basically on third and fourth down to shut shut down the Rams drive and, you know, keep basically continue the, the what was an incredibly dominant game. So keeping Jimmy Ward, signing Jimmy Ward to that one-year deal is essentially what cascaded into him still being with the team and signing more of a long-term deal, you know, and, and, and then the 49ers finally getting to see, you know, Jimmy Ward at his natural spot, healthy and what he could be. And as long as he stays healthy, I think he'll be even better next year. You know, and the fact that the 49ers were able to keep him and Armstead around has to be seen as a little bit of a win because continuity is key. You know, the 49ers defense was so good last year. It'll be interesting to see if they can replicate that. But I know you want more takeaways. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, that's that's the one thing that I kind of, I don't say worry about, but, you know, you you want you guys to take away the ball. And throughout his career, he's kind of hasn't forced any takeaways. And you, that's that's what you, you know, you want from any defensive back that you have back there, especially a guy that's really kind of sometimes free to ro- roam the field and, read quarterback's eyes and do some of those things. You know, you want him to get a beat and, and, you know, change the game. Like, now he has terrific cover skills. Like, terrific. And there's definitely value there. But I would like to see some takeaways. I mean, even luck in the one. Look at, look at, uh, uh, Terry is more in the Super Bowl. Like, pass got tipped. He was there, got an interception. Like, get something like that. Something. But he just hasn't had any. Right. And, and, you know, that, like we're kind of saying, it has to do with a little bit of familiarity. He just hasn't, he's just been hurt, you know, like he just hasn't been out there that much. And, and I think that the longer, if he can stay healthy, the longer he's out there, the more takeaways he gets as he gets more comfortable with his position in the defense and what he's seeing. It's not that he's inexperienced by any means. He's been in the league for a while. It's just, he just hasn't got a lot of playing time and he's been moved around. He's played like everywhere on the 49ers defense and multiple schemes. So, It'll be interesting to see what he's capable of, you know, with another year in his belt. And, you know, another move that goes right along with Jimmy Ward is signing Raheem Mostert to a three-year deal. Because if you go and look at that deal, and I don't, I don't have it in front of me. It's right here. If you go and look at Raheem Mostert's deal, it is a steal for what he eventually developed into. He has a $3 million cap hit this year, which if – and, you know, that's it's not like lightweight, but at the same time, what that guy was doing at the end, towards the end of the season, when he kind of inserted himself as the guy, it's a steal. Like the, <laughs> the dude ran for 220 yards against the Packers. That's that's absurd. He scored four touchdowns. That's just unreal. Now, that's obviously and an, an, it's not a. It's an exception. He wasn't doing that every game, but it, right. it became very clear that Raheem Mostert was kind of like the guy in the backfield. You would, when the 49ers weren't giving the ball to Raheem Mostert or he wasn't in the backfield, people were tweeting about it. You know, like, why is he not back there? And that doesn't mean anything to Kyle Shanahan, but it just showed how quickly Raheem Mostert kind of established himself as the guy. And it depends on what they drew in the draft and what running backs they add and stuff like that. But you can assume that he's going to be the guy heading into the offseason. And, and I'm assuming when, you know, if the 49ers do hold training camp like normal, 
when they put a running back back there with the first string offense, I'm assuming it's going to be Raheem Mostert. You know, I'm, I'm assuming he's the he's the number one right now. Um, we'll see though, because with the 49ers backfield, it's just you never know. Like at the beginning of last year, you thought Matt Breida was the guy, and see how quickly that changed. Yeah, he never took control of the position. I'm surprised he's still on the team. I know, I know, because he started and he was getting limited snaps, and in the limited snaps, he was fumbling the football. So it's, you know, we'll see. They put a second round tender on, on Matt Breida, which means that if another team wants to sign him, they have to make an offer. And if the 49ers don't match that offer, then they, they have to give the 49ers a second round pick. Or you can just straight up trade for the player. You know, teams can still hit up the 49ers about trading for Matt Breida. And it not cost it won't cost a second round pick. It's just like any other deal. But um, so anyways. We're going to get a quick word in from our sponsor. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the 49ers rookie draft class. We know the sports landscape right now is just, it's crazy. Okay, there's no NBA, no NHL, no MLB. You might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you're wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, props to wager on. From their online casino to poker, blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? Of course you are. That's no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online, so all y'all's under quarantine can stay at home and get your bet on. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Okay, so... Um, in like five words or less, what is your, what are your thoughts on the 49ers 2019 draft class? Productive. I only need one word. Oh, dude, that, you have four extra words. Do you want to do anything with those extra words? Like, are there any other words you want to use? You know, they, they all, they all were very impactful and had a big hand on the 49ers, you know, success. Like, not just, I mean, I'm talking about big moments, right? Big moments. Just the different plays that they, they, they made. You know, Bosa, you know, throughout the year. Debo, especially the back end of the, the, the season. Um, even in the Super Bowl, he was probably on his way to being an offensive MVP. And then uh, Dre Greenlaw. I mean, the, st- the stop against the Seattle Seahawks, man, that was, that was huge. So all the, those, those dudes, man, those, those three guys. You know, you you want three guys, you know, from if you can have three guys every year from your draft class be productive, you take that. And I think that they they had a huge hand in 49 success. Right. And that and what's interesting about that, what's interesting about the amount of pro production the 49ers got from their rookie rookie wookie, um, Star Wars Wookiees. <laughs> um what's interesting is the amount of production that they got is the 49ers roster was not weak heading into that draft class. The they the only reason they were picking number two 
was because Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL and that kind of, you know, sent the, sent the season to the wayside. They were not, you know, obviously there were some holes to fill and they, and, and they filled those, but it was not a weak roster where, you know, kind of like the 49ers in 2017 when rookie players were asked to fill big roles that are normally reserved for guys who are already on the roster. But still, the 49ers drafted so well that they were able to just – they were able to step in and play. I mean, you have in the first round, the 49ers took Nick Bosa, which it's kind of – it's a double-edged sword. Obviously, the 49ers were elated that the Cardinals decided to draft Kyler Murray, which allowed them to draft Nick Bosa. But on the other hand, Kyler Murray doesn't look half bad. And now he's in the division, and so the 49ers are going to have to compete with that every year um, for a while, twice a year. So, I mean, like I said, it's a double-edged sword, but in the end, the 49ers can't control who the Cardinals are going to draft. The good thing is they weren't going to draft Kyler Murray and the fact that the Cardinals didn't draft Nick Bosa obviously allowed them to get him, and the rest is history. The dude is probably already considered a top five, top seven edge rusher in the NFL. You know, top ten at the very least, and he's a freaking rookie, and I, you can better believe he's going to get better. Um, then you have Debo Samuel. Um, I, everybody saw what he was able to do. He was really impressive, uh, especially once Emmanuel Sanders came into the fold and I don't know if that was just coincidence and the timing, um, but, you know, he really started to break out. Jalen Hurd's a little bit of a mystery at this point. Um, he suffered a back back fracture in the preseason, and he's kind of disappeared into the woodwork. So we really are not sure what to expect from him. Mitch Wisnowski, fourth-round punter. Everybody freaked out about that one. He's been pretty good. I mean, he hasn't been a liability. You know, he's had some good punts. Right. He's been what yeah, he's a, been what a punter should be. You know, you didn't hear his name that often, which is a good thing for a punter. You know, obviously, you want to hear their name when it comes to kicking like a 60-yard punt. But at the same time, you don't want to hear their name when they when they shank it out of bounds. So, um, And then you have Dre Greenlaw, who we obviously know stepped in for Quan Alexander and made arguably one of the 49ers' most important plays of the season. Um, Caden Smith didn't stick around with the 49ers, tight end in the sixth round, but – he did go on to the Giants. Uh, he did the 49ers released him and then he got picked up by the Giants. And he actually had a, a halfway productive season with the Giants for a rookie tight end. So that's interesting. Then you have Justin School. I think he was also taken in the sixth round. And he is he had a ton of starting action this year. You know, somebody who wasn't very highly regarded stepped in and, and he had his struggles as a rookie offensive tackle in the sixth round should, but he was pretty reliable. You know, there was that there was that that point in time where both Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley were out, and it was Justin School and Daniel Brunskill. And not that you wouldn't notice a difference, but the 49ers were just fine. You know, the the gates didn't collapse, and the the, the you know Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't destroyed. So, I mean, that's a lot of like you said, dude. Maybe maybe production was the word. Yeah, and that's why they you know they got a. Was it the front office or whatever they got draft room war room of the year? You know they had a lot of guys that contributed, and I forget about Wisnowski. I mean, you know he's out there every game. So you know you have four, and then school he stepped in and he had his ups and downs though. But you know for them to get as much production out of those guys as they did, man, that's that's big time. And you know if only uh Jalen Hurd had come through, that it'd be even bigger. I know, man. After those two touchdowns against the the Cowboys in the preseason. Oh man, 
You know, you <laughs> thought like, oh, dude, it is on. Well, yeah, because, you know, it's only going to get better from there. Right. And he, you know, he's 6'4", 220 pounds. You and I had a long conversation back and forth right after they drafted him. Just about, you know, like, wait, 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 wait. This guy's actually kind of interesting. He's a former running back. He's got some some move in his step despite being so big. And he's also just like, I mean, for lack of a better term, he's like an asshole. You know, like you can tell the way he plays football. He's he's a punk and he wants to, you know, one of the Cowboys in the preseason, he just caught kind of a crossing route and turned up field. And the guy basically met him at the one yard line and he just plowed over him like and which isn't necessarily a common trait for a receiver. But he's a big ass dude and he's a former running back. So that's just kind of what he has. So hopefully he's able to come back and play. But there's just some things that kind of lend to, you know, who knows? Who knows? I know that, you know, he wasn't really around for the Super Bowl. So, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff. We'll see, you know, and and obviously messing around with having, I mean, my dad suffered from a back fracture that was like mixed, misdiagnosed. And once he finally got it diagnosed correctly and had surgery, it like changed his life. So, you know, back injuries are crazy. There's so much going on in there and there's so many, you know, it's your spine, there's nerves, there's, there's plates, there's all this stuff going on in your back. So, you know, hopefully that all gets healed over and he's able to come back and make an impact because the 49ers could use a 6'4", 220 pound guy right now. You know, that's just something that, you know, and they can use a guy with his skill set. So, you know, kind of going back up through it though, Nick Bosa, man, dude was just, I mean, I knew he, I had a very high opinion of him. You know, I I knew he had to be the guy that the 49ers drafted. There was never any Quinn and Williams talk for me. I I liked Quinn and Williams, but there was never, ever, and at least on my sake, any feeling that they, they should consider Williams over Bosa. And obviously just given the this two seasons that both of them had, Bosa seems like the obvious choice now, but you know, like we said, it's only been one year, so I don't want to discount Williams and act like he's not going to do things. But, I mean, that dude was just – I mean, that was crazy, man, watching his year unfold because he was highlight after high. I mean, he, was, he intercepted a pass. He was planting the flag. He was sacked. Like, the dude was just <laughs> – it was nuts, man. Like, And what's weird is, is the way he plays doesn't match his personality at all. Yeah, he's like a calm, chill dude. Yeah, every time we would we talk think he's to from California after like a surfer. Yeah, yeah. And he he's just like, Man, it was it was great, you know, like we were just out there sacking the quarterback and was, <laughs> he's, like, he, he's like, I was I was talking smack to Baker Mayfield and I was like, Baker like he's like <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. almost like a little scary. Like he's like yeah. he's like so quiet and subdued that he's like a little scary. So, you know, whatever. And then, dude, tell me what you think about Debo Samuel, man. Tell me what you think about Debo Samuel. Because you were a um, fan going in. You were into him. The 49ers drafted him like you thought they would. Tell me what, given what you thought about him before the year and what you saw from him this year, like just what are your thoughts? Uh, big time ability. And I think he can take his game to the even the next level. Um, I compared him a lot to DJ Moore, and I still see that. And I see that ability. And I think it's on Kyle Shanahan to really unlock it and just really use him. Like I, I feel like he has all the potential to be a wide receiver one. I think that the drops would be limited now that he's, you know, 
further along in the in the playbook and truly understanding it and getting comfortable, uh, I, I think as long as he just continues to work, man, just keep grinding. Because again, like what my homeboy said, who coached him, you know, he is a guy who his weight can kind of really go up. And if he's playing heavy, he's gonna lose some of that elusiveness. And now his route running is not gonna be as excuse me, as good. So, you know, I just keep grinding. And I think sky's the limit for guys like him. Right now I have him pegged as a really good wide receiver too. But, you know, who knows? You know, next year he can maybe show himself to be, you know, just a legit go-to guy that's just tough and fighting for yards and they do things to just scheme him open. And you keep continue to do that, man. I mean, his run after catch, tremendous. He beats press. I mean, like, I, I was very encouraged by everything that I saw. And I just wish that they would just even open it up a little bit more for him. Right. Like he's a guy that is so versatile in his skill set that, I mean, there should never be a drive where he doesn't get a target or touch the ball, you know, once or twice. You know, obviously it depends on how many plays they're running, but I mean, he should just be constantly involved. The dude was so good on those end arounds and those sweeps, but then he was still showing, like you're saying, some of those wide receiver one-ish traits, those contested catches, you know, those getting open in short spaces. It, you know, it just depends. And I was I was on the, the phone with um, an ESPN radio guy on the East Coast who was doing like a, a draft from where somebody from every team was calling in, like a media member from every team around the country was calling in and he was basically going to do an entire first round. And, uh, you know, at the time of the, you know, I was picking for the 49ers and Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb were both off the board. And so I went with Henry Ruggs. Who, you know, I mean, I wasn't like super excited about the pick, you know, but it's just mock draft, whatever. And, but it would just be, it was just an interesting prospect to bring up the, the idea of bringing in somebody like that who's super quick. And because obviously Marquise Gooden didn't, Goodwin didn't really have much of a role last year, but it would be nice to get someone who was a legitimate speed threat next to or along with Debo Samuel. Um, because all the stuff he did over the middle of the field would just open up even more, you know, and it'll, it'll just be interesting to see what Debo Samuel can do as they kind of build up that receiving core around him. Um, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't know if Emmanuel Sanders showing up was the catalyst for Samuel starting to take off, but it seemed like it certainly helped. So, you know, I don't want to see the 49ers move away from that. Oh, you know, that I, I'm not entirely convinced they go wide receiver at 13, but you definitely want to get some guys in there to that are going to start along with him to kind of just even further accentuate that skill set he has because it's it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out next year. And then obviously the, the the other big highlight of the rookie class that we've already mentioned is Dre Greenlaw, um, who was pretty outstanding. And like you said, when when they when they allowed Quan Alexander to step back in after recovering from his torn pec, there were times where you're like, man, can we can we should probably get Dre Greenlaw back in there, you know? Like he was just playing really really well, and Quan Alexander was obviously recovering from an injury, but and that that stop against the Seahawks, week seventeen, bro, that was it. I mean, being in the right place at the right time. And smacking a tight end on the six-inch yard line to keep him from scoring, to to win them the game, and secure the number one seed. Like, dude, it doesn't get any more important than that. I mean, I, I feel like it was like the two-inch line. <laughs> that was right. as close as it is. Yeah, I mean, and, and if he would have been not even a step later, like if he would have been just half a step later, just one 
tiny thought later, you know, one blink of an eye later, the Seahawks would have scored. Yeah. But he broke on the ball when he broke on the ball. And, 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 you know, that's all for a rookie. That is a huge thing because something that rookies at, at any position struggles with more than anything is just recognition and dealing with the speed of the game. And if, to make that play in that position and, and immediately meet um, the Seahawks tight end right as uh, Hollister, right as he caught that ball. I mean, that's crazy, man. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. Cause that was, that's nuts. That's nuts. Um, so obviously the 49ers, if you wanted to review a draft class after a year, which you really shouldn't do, I think the 49ers would be like a resounding A+. plus. You know, there's not to say there's not some misses in there, but like I said in the last podcast, NFL general managers are working under the same rules as baseball players and the fact that if they can hit, they can get a hit one-third of the time, they're great. That's like if somebody's batting over 300, they're considered a great batter. And that's the way it is with general managers. And right now you're looking at Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel, uh, you know, Mitch Wisnowski, if you want to include him, Dre Greenlaw, uh, Justin School. All these guys have just stepped in and immediately had an impact. I don't want to forget about Tim Harris back there, but, you know, not a whole lot going on there yet. So, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. And obviously if you're encapsulating the season as a whole – you know, a little later in the year, about halfway through the year, the 49ers went out and got Emmanuel Sanders. And I think they made that move knowing that they were right there. They felt like they they were, they felt like they were one veteran receiver away from the Super Bowl. And not that necessarily Sanders was the one that pushed them over the edge, but it's hard to argue with that thought. If that's what they thought, if they thought they were one veteran receiver away from the Super Bowl, well, they got there, you know. So obviously, it's it's sort of disappointing that the 49ers didn't keep him around. That they weren't able to keep him around, given they gave up a third and fourth round pick to to get him. Um, but at the same time, you you understand it. You saw what he signed for. Uh, the 49ers had a lot of of wheeling and dealing to do on the contract side of things. So, you know, what are your thoughts on Emmanuel Sanders, Croc? And do you would you have done? Do you think it was worth it? Yeah, I mean, it was worth definitely worth getting him. I think he was a huge uh, contributor to helping the 49ers, you know, reach uh, the Super Bowl, um, reach the playoffs, had a huge game against, you know, the Saints. You know, who knows how that game goes if he doesn't make, you know, that big catch um, and run for a touchdown. Who knows how that game goes if he doesn't throw a pass for a touchdown. So, uh, you know, I think he he always showed up whenever they call on him. Um, it's unfortunate that they couldn't connect with him in the end zone in the Super Bowl, but uh, you know, I was really, uh, he, he did a great job. He did a great job. And I think his impression that he left on the young receivers is probably, um, the, probably the best thing that he could have done. So that was a, it was, you know, yeah, he lost a third and the fourth rounder, but I think they gained so much more from, you know, him just being there. Did you mention the, uh, the catch against the Rams? I did not, but that was, I mean, but that was kind of like a blown coverage, so I don't really know. It was a big play. It was a big play. Oh, man, that was, yeah, that was nuts. I just, right after they, that play, right after they completed that play, they cut to uh, Sean McVay, and his face was just like, holy crap. It was the same face that Kyle Shanahan was probably making in the Super Bowl when they blew that, when they blew that play to Tyreek Hill. You know, now that I think about it, it's probably a pretty similar face, but anyways, Sorry to to end our discussion on 
49ers blowing that play in the Super Bowl, but <laughs> they did. But all right, so you know that free agency a little less busy than they had been in years past. But when it came to the draft, it's not that they were more busy, but I mean, it really seems like they hit it out of the park. And and like I said, we'll have to see things change. Um, but I mean, you can't, you just can't complain about that. There's, you know, for just if it was just Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel that kind of kept that draft class alive, then so be it. It would still be considered, you know, kind of a success. But you have those other, you know, you have somebody like um, Dre Greenlaw back there that just is really prop, helping prop that draft class up. So I'm impressed. I think it was good. And I, to be honest, I'm, I'm impressed with John Lynch. I'm impressed with Adam Pierce. I'm impressed with Kyle Shanahan. There's just, I mean, yeah, they've had, they've had some signings that, you know, whatever. That may not look great, and they've they've missed some draft picks and stuff like that. But overall, you know, if you're looking at 2019, and if you're looking at the fact that they took a what was probably the worst roster in the NFL and brought it to a Super Bowl in less than three years, I mean that is nuts. That is pretty impressive, and it doesn't happen very often. So you know, when it comes to reviewing somebody's performance and reviewing what they've done over the past three years. I mean, it's it's tough to do any better than what they did. And, you know, now you're starting to, to see where the job really becomes hard, where you have big con- players have to be re-signed for big contracts. You know, you got to figure out who you can live without and who you can who you have to keep. And, and, you know, you're trying to hit on your draft picks because that's what keeps you under the salary cap when you have cheap talent. And now they're to the really hard part of the job. And um, it's interesting. Right. Interesting. So – you got any closing thoughts for us, dude? Ah, oh, man, I'm just I'm ready for the draft. <laughs> I know, dude. Yeah. I know. All right, so next week, um, probably a couple days before the pod, day before the pod, somewhere in there, um, Crocker and I'll put out a little call for for questions, all relating to the draft. So we're gonna do an entire mailbag episode, all relating to the draft. We'll give our thoughts on the draft. Maybe we'll do our own mock draft, and we'll just throw it all in there. We'll probably talk for four hours. Um, who cares? It's what we do. Um, so just kind of, if you're listening now, think of what you might, might want to ask about, think, you, you know, what are your thoughts? It doesn't have to be a question. It could be a thought. It could be a statement that we react to, whatever. Um, but our next episode will, we, our stuff usually comes out on Wednesday morning and that'll be the day before the first round of the draft, which in and of itself will be interesting because it's all online. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'll go live or something. Like I'll I'll go live on Zoom or I'll do something. (laughs) Yeah, people watch it. Watch it. Let me know what you're planning on doing. I'll jump on there with you. Uh, Um, Yeah, it'll be weird as long as somebody doesn't hack the NFL draft like they're doing on Zoom and draw a big male genitalia on the screen or something because stuff's weird. (laughs) All these things, you know, with all these hack Zoom meetings and whatever. But anyways, that's it for us. As always, I appreciate you guys for, for hanging out. Appreciate you for listening. Appreciate appreciate the fact that you're here every week. Um, you're what, what makes this podcast go. Um, make sure you are staying healthy. Make sure you're staying indoors. Uh, respect what we're going through right now. Um, the quicker we all do that, the quicker it'll be over with. And things can go back to normal. Um, love you guys. Thanks for checking us out. But again, for another week, Striking Gold, signing out. Peace.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.